This week on WealthTrack, an exclusive interview with outspoken Treasury bond manager Robert Kessler, who has correctly gone against the crowd, forecasting lower interest rates and higher Treasury bond prices for years. We are now really faced with a serious economic problem, and that economic problem can't be solved with a vaccine. I, I think that's really important to understand. We don't have a vaccine for this problem. He is at it again and will tell us why this week on Consuelo Mack Wealth Track. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Funding provided by Morgan Le Fay Dreams Foundation, ClearBridge Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Matthews Asia, First Eagle Investment Management, and Strategus Asset Management. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. How strong and lasting is the current rebound we are seeing in the economy? What about the resurgence in inflation? Well, those are major debates raging on Wall Street right now. Wall Street's longtime number one economist, Ed Hyman of Evercore ISI, recently wrote about massive lifts for growth, saying there are a number of them, but the top three are massive stimulus, unprecedented consumer net worth, saving and pent-up demand, and synchronized improvement in global CB, meaning COVID vaccinations, and resulting global reopenings. Well, Hyman, along with most of Wall Street, is focusing on the strength of the rebound from COVID lockdowns and the spike in business activity, earnings, and yes, prices of everything from commodities to cars to homes to the new stock market leaders, previously lagging sectors such as energy, financials, and materials, whose stocks have soared. This week's guest is looking beyond the current rebound and focusing on what he sees as massive problems, which will act as drags on recovery. He is Robert Kessler, founder and CEO of Kessler Investment Advisors, a manager of fixed income portfolios with a specialty in U.S. treasuries for institutions and high net worth individuals around the globe. Even before COVID, Kessler was warning about economic and stock market risk. I asked him to identify the risks then and where they stand now. First of all, I want to say thank you. Uh, Thank you for actually putting up with me. For almost 20 years now, uh, and especially because I get to look at everything back a year. And the last time we did this was a, a little bit more than a year ago. Right. Uh, March 2020. March 2020. And, and I wasn't astute enough to know how serious uh, the pandemic would become. And, and that's really very, very important because everything I have to talk about relates probably to that, because in reality, what we talk about on at least what I hear on Wall Street is we always want to go back to where we were. One of the things that we talk about a great deal is uh, there. It's true. Six hundred thousand people have died in this country since I was on the show. And we want to go back to January, December, because that's where we want to head. No, it's not where we want to head. When I was on your show, 
we were talking about the fact that we had more triple B bonds, that is really not great credit than we've ever seen before. We were talking right, on the of, edge of investment grade credit, right that, on the edge. That's right. right. And we had more of them. And at yes. the same time, which all of us forget, we actually had an inverted yield curve in 2019, which was supposed to be and usually is a good predictor of a future recession. That would right. Be- and an inverted yield curve, for those who don't know that, is when long-term interest rates are lower than short-term interest rates. That's, that's right. Okay. And, and, and the reason that happens is because the economy is slowing down. And long-term interest rates, which we look at as what will it be in the future, suddenly become less relevant in terms of being high, and they become lower than where the Federal Reserve is. And that's what actually happened. And that's how we were going into your show last time. So we were looking at a slowdown in 2020, a real slowdown. And that slowdown probably was going to be a recession. And now we're talking about getting back to that. (laughs) That sounds a little bit silly. Okay. what's relevant about all of that is that that was also a period of time we were talking about the global marketplace. The United States, all of us, were in a global world. Now we talk about global supply problems. In fact, we can't even really talk about the globe because half the globe is involved in this pandemic that, thank God, we're lucky enough that we found a vaccine for it. So So we're reopening... But most places aren't. And so the, the, the tre- tremendous difficulty is trying to talk about where we are right now, where we were, and where does it look like we're going? Are we really facing a bull market? A lot of people think we're going to get back to January, which we just discussed isn't the greatest period right. of time. But is it really going to get better? H- history tells us that... Uh, At the end of these markets, uh, we actually know what kind of things to look for to know if it is, in fact, the end. For instance, for instance, in January and December of 2019 and 20, we were actually hitting in multiples, meaning price earnings multiples, Mm -hmm. 28 times earnings, pretty high. Very difficult to have a bull market starting at the high end of a multiple. Most bull markets begin from almost single-digit multiples. In 2006, 2007, 2008, when the market finally hit its bottom, we were at a multiple of 12 times earnings, Uh a PE of 12. Not the greatest, but not bad. We're at 30 today. The only times we've been at 30 have been times that are just prior to very long-term problems in the market. And, And I think what's difficult to understand is 30 times earnings means 30 years at that earnings rate to get your money back. That is a heck of a long time. It's a little bit easier if it's seven times because, well, what the heck, seven years is better than 30. So we know that each one of these major drops in the market, each one of these major bearish turns in the market, 
start around 30. Mm -hmm. So that kind of tells you something you want to look at. That's where we are. So you're saying that the stock market is in the danger zone, historically. Absolutely. Let me add to that just for a second. Um, Usually when the public is at about 38%, meaning they've taken 38% of their financial resources and put them into the stock market, that is about as far as you can go. 38% seems to be the top every single time. We don't have an exception to this. Uh-huh. In 2008, 2007, we were at 38 times, meaning the public was totally involved. And the problem with that is, who do they sell to? They are the buyers. Now they have to find someone to sell and make a profit. So you suddenly reach a point where 38 times, then 30 PEs are beginning to become the big problem in the market. That is the basic problem that this market faces. It is too expensive. And when things get too expensive, there's only one direction they can go in. Now, not to be, not to be silly, because I don't want to be silly about this, but one of the things you get when you get to the top of the market is you get a lot of crazy things going on in the market. This has gotten to the point where we have enough things out there, meaning SPACs and cryptocurrencies and useless pieces of paper, no matter how good anyone tries to sell you on them, they are useless. Most of these things begin to exist when you get to the numbers that we're talking about. Now, when a market gets this silly, (laughs) which it certainly is, uh, then then you want to say that I think it's time to step away. One of my problems uh, is that it sounds, when I'm talking about it, like it's doom and gloom. I am not talking doom and gloom. I am simply saying, I'll use a name, Ray Dalio. Very right, important, right. very Famous big. hedge fund manager, very Famous successful. Famous and, and, pro- and, and certainly a, a billionaire. One of right. his most classic things that he says from month to month, week to week, is cash is trash. Right. Now, now, we've talked about this before, so it's not new. But for all of those people who are listening, and you've got two months of savings if you lose your job and then you have nothing, cash is not trash. Right. Ray Dalio can talk like that. Jamie Dimon can walk around and say, don't buy treasuries. That is something he right. says because interest rates are going higher. Who is the largest buyer of treasuries in the world right now? J.P. Morgan Chase. J.P. Morgan Chase. That's his bank. So the point is that having money going into this next period of time is very valuable. Right, having Be- cash. Right. Having cash. Liquidity. You, liquidity means you can buy something cheaper. It means that it really does have value. And that's what I think people have to look at. So it, it, as far as treasuries, which is your business, Robert, and they've actually been a good investment for the last 40 years. And I've had you on this program countless times over the last 20 years Basically, you know, talking about the fact that interest rates were going to go lower, that treasury bond prices were going to go higher, that in times of crisis, that they were the safe haven of the world. And you have proven to be correct 
over and over and over again. Let me ask you about what's changed really is that the supply of treasuries in order to finance this $6 trillion worth of spending that we're doing, um, the, we're going to need a lot more treasuries. So isn't this a tremendous damper on treasury prices? And we are being financed from overseas investors. And because, quite honestly, our interest rates on treasuries um, are a lot higher than they are in other sovereign debt. And, you know, we've got a terrific credit rating. So how do you balance those two pressures, huge supply and but also demand for treasuries because of the attractive returns on them? Let, let me put treasuries on an entirely different level than we're talking about them. Uh -huh. um, let's just say that the United States is sitting with $30 trillion worth of debt. And that's a very, very high figure. Right. And, but we've also got a very, very big economy and, a, and a, an economy that's growing faster than just about any other developed economy in the world, except for China. But as a percent of debt, yeah, yeah that's pretty high. I don't I don't like it. That. Is. None, of, none of us like no that. Question. Well, let me make a point about something else. We've got 30, 30 trillion dollars worth of debt. Do you know that the Federal Reserve comes out every year and tells us how much value we as private citizens, we are worth. And you know what we're worth this year? $130 trillion. That is an okay. incredible number. Now, 20% mm -hmm. of that, 20% is debt. That's that 30 trillion. Now imagine right. all of those people who are listening, if your mortgage was 20% or less, you would say, terrific. Yeah, right, exactly. Terrific. Yeah. So we, we as a country, when you look at us, that's why we're considered the finest and the reserve currency of the world and mm -hmm. the sovereign debt of the world, because we have so many assets backing that 30 trillion. Should we go to 40? No, I don't think we should go to 40. But even if we went to 40, would it really matter in terms of the assets? The other, the other mantra that we've been hearing on Wall Street, again, for the last 20 years that you and I have been talking, is that treasuries are like the most expensive asset on the planet. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. You know, don't buy treasuries. They're just, they're, you know, they're too dangerous, especially long treasuries. Treasuries are cheap. They are very cheap. The reason why I say they're cheap is the average 10-year treasury in this world of, of, of sophisticated countries that are in good shape, that are considered qualified to sell sovereign debt, the average rate on a 10-year is 0.60 basis point, 0.60. Our 10-year treasury is 155 today. Let me tell you why that's cheap. Because forget the 155 and forget the 0.60, which is the rest of the world. So 155 is a good return. But you shouldn't buy treasuries because of the 155. That's a good idea. But if the treasuries simply go back to where they were one year ago, that 155 would be one, or it would be 0.55. Mm -hmm. And that's a 10, 12% return. Right. Plus the 155. But more important, we were talking about cash. No one says you have to buy 10-year treasuries. The idea is 
that your cash can go into a treasury bill. The fact that you get nothing in return other than the safety of your money isn't the issue. The issue is that you have money. We are now really faced with a serious economic problem. And that economic problem can't be solved with a vaccine. I, I think that's really important to understand. We don't have a vaccine for this problem. And so I think we have to deal with it and we have to deal with it with a sense of reality. And there's a lot of smart people out there that believe me, most corporate insiders are selling their own stock. Most people who say cash is trash have plenty of cash. Right, right. Um, Robert, it, it, there there are expressions you and I talked about on the phone. Um, you know, one is Tina that's been around for a long time. There is no alternative to stocks. And the reason that that has been, um, you know, a theme, and it's been a successful theme in that a lot of people have invested in the stock market and have done extremely, extremely well. Those who are investing have done extremely well. So there is no alternative if, in fact, we get a correction or a, I mean, a, a serious correction in the market, which you think we are overdue for. Um, what about treasuries? And again, you know, com- coming, talking about the bond market, you know, there is no alternative. Is there no alternative to United States treasuries as far as in the credit markets? If, if, if I had to choose an investment, meaning to take risk, um, I would buy the long-term U.S. Treasury. And the reason Mm -hmm. I would is because my thinking is that when this economy does do what it's probably going to do, and we have plenty of proof that it's going to, that the long-term treasury, which is roughly two and a quarter percent, will probably drop down to one. And now you're talking about a 20 plus return. Is that so outrageous when in fact it was one a year ago? Now, Let me tell you about the stock market for a brief second. If the stock market drops 40 or 50 percent, as it did in 2009, as it did drop 35 percent in 2020, the fact of the matter is to get your money back, it's got to go up double that price. So if it drops 50 percent, you've got to make 100 percent to get that 50 percent back. That's how it works. Now, The reality to that is we are starting at the highest multiple that has always indicated we're going down. We're starting at the greatest amount of bullishness and craziness and crazy things on the market that we've ever seen. This is worse in many respects than, in my estimation, than the dot-com bubble. The fact of the matter is, from an investing viewpoint, investing viewpoint, why not buy the thing that is inversely correlated to the marketplace. And so is that your one investment? If your one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio would be? If someone tells me stocks are going to go down 50%, I'm going to ask, well, what, what should I buy? The one thing we know, absolutely know for sure, not gold, not, not uh, various currencies that are being made up. The only thing that actually reacts positively to the market going down are treasuries. So a long-term treasury, a two and a quarter, is a gift 
Someone is handing you a gift. Now, you could say, well, what happens if I'm wrong? I can't sit around for 30 years. No one sits around for 30 years. All of this is silliness when you talk 30 years or 10 years. When we talk inflation, inflation, oh, I'm going to buy the 10-year, not the 30-year. What is the difference between 10 years and 30 years when you talk inflation? So they're giving you two and a quarter percent free. The rest of the world is selling at nothing virtually. Germany is negative on the 30-year treasury. So here you have this opportunity. And why is it an opportunity? Because you know it's going to do exactly the opposite of the stock market. So maybe it's time to put some of them in your portfolio. And so as an investment, I have consistently said, uh, buy 30-year long-term treasuries and put them in your pension fund. Right. And you you, usually say actually zero coupon treasuries. Zero coupon. That's even bigger. That, that, leverage, means, right. that means the zero, which actually is selling that same two and a quarter is around 250. If it drops from 250 down to 150, you're making 30%. These are big numbers. And what yeah. is your risk? Oh, no, I'm not going to be around for 30 years. And yet you have no problem with someone telling you over the last 100 years, the stock market makes you 10%. Yeah, but I, I don't think I'm going to be around the next 100 years. It'd be my luck that the next 10 years, when I own the stock market, it drops to the 50%. I know that's going to happen. <laughs> All right. Savings. Let, let's just, we'll wrap this up with savings. You've made this point before, but it's worth making again. You, one needs to really distinguish between investments and savings. So talk to us about the importance of savings. At least as I was growing up, I think, I don't mean everyone has to be my age to remember this. Um, There was a difference between a savings bond, a savings bond, uh, and investing. Um, It it cost $87.50, I think, to buy a $100 savings bond. That's a treasury. Let's not distinguish it. It is a treasury. Uh, And uh, you bought it for, and they took it out of your paycheck. That was savings. Mm-hmm. If you didn't have enough money to pay the 87, you bought a $18, $17, I forgot, to get $25. And you know what was funny about that? Because I, I remember doing this. I did this for about five years. That's when I started in business. You had the savings plan. Yeah, take $87, whatever. And at the end, I bought my first, really bought my first car. Mm-hmm. And you know, I cashed in those savings bonds I think I got $3,600, and I actually paid for the car. There was no such thing as, and I really don't want to date myself, but there was no such thing as you bought it on time, or you bought right. it for seven years. Right. I bought the car bought it. Right. with my savings. And that's what people do with their house today. That's why you have a house. You think mm-hmm. that in the future, you'll have paid off your mortgage, and that'll be your investment. And hopefully the price will go up. If I have two yes. seconds, I'll give you a good analogy. Uh, the, the value of homes in 2007, eight, the value of homes was $25 trillion. That is a huge number. Do you know that today those same houses are worth $35 trillion? So why don't right. we just take 20% off that? That's not a big deal. That's $7 trillion. 
How are you going to feel when all of those houses are worth $7 trillion less? And it will happen. Houses mm-hmm. do not go up every year, contrary right. to what Ben Bernanke said. They will not, they don't. Mm-hmm. And so getting back to the question of savings, savings are what you know will be there when you want them. You know that they're going to be there. Investments, investments I don't know. You just don't know. You just don't know. And I right. could give you my suggestions, and I'm sure other people give their suggestions. They don't know either. None of us know. <laughs> that's why savings are so important. And that's why the idea that cash is trash is idiotic. The only people who talk like that are people who have so much cash, they don't care if they buy something that is non-existent. It is very much the emperor's new clothes. <laughs> and that emperor's new clothes are what we're seeing in the stock market today. Thank you. Robert Kessler, great to have you on Wealth Tracking. Sure. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you very much. Okay. At the close of every Wealth Track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is the same one I gave you the last time Robert Kessler appeared on Wealth Track over a year ago. It is a mantra of his as well. It is hold enough cash to tide you over in times of trouble. Now, cash doesn't build wealth on its own, but it helps preserve it by preventing you from being poor. We got a stark reminder of that during the COVID lockdowns when many Americans lost their jobs and businesses went under. Cash is anything but trash when you need to pay your bills, and it eliminates the need for distress selling, which is another wealth destroyer. And for the opportune investor, it gives you buying power in times of trouble, which can be a wealth builder. Ignore Wall Street's advice and hold a personal comfort level of cash. Well, next week, the Wall Street Journal's intelligent investor columnist Jason Zweig discusses the speculation in the markets and how investors should respond. In this week's Extra, Robert Kessler discusses the COVID impact and how the pandemic experience has changed his life. Please continue to follow WealthTrack on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. We appreciate your spending time with us. Have a relaxing weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.